Hey, I'm R. Alvin Brooks. I am the host of this podcast. And I am Dele Johnson, editor and producer. So listen, uh, this episode we're talking to John Jennings. Uh, he, I said this when I met him, but basically he is everything that I do except with the volume turned up. <laughs> like he's a professor uh, at uh, UC Riverside, I believe. He writes and draws graphic novels. Uh, he has a New York Times bestseller graphic novel that he did. He has his pub own publishing imprint. And uh, his comic book pedigree is deep. We got into those conversations about some old heroes. We got we talked about golden age heroes, public domain heroes. We talked about obscure characters from the 80s. And I had this worry that uh, for people like you normals who are out there listening, that you like we got too deep in the weeds with the comic <laughs> book stuff. But uh, I hope I was able to keep it there, you know, because uh, clearly he and I could have just spent hours talking about that stuff because it's just yeah. cool when you find somebody who connects on that stuff yeah uh, especially like another brother you know who's really deep into that stuff yeah um but i really did enjoy the conversation and i think that uh, anybody who's listening is going to enjoy it too absolutely and he is a common look like i think he could win <laughs> a common look like competition right. for sure he's he's got the look he's got the deep voice yeah uh, right the common swag yeah we'll I'll let y'all be the the judges of that though in the video version it's true oh and also my uh sister and niece were visiting and so they were here and uh, we cut it out, but it, uh, you know, I was fussing at them for making noise. But eventually, <laughs> they were quiet. My niece is eight years old, so it was very good for her to be quiet for that amount yeah, of time. Yeah, I think she did a great job. Right on. She definitely kind of tuned out at one point. <laughs> yes. Jumped on the Nintendo Switch. She did, but... <laughs> right. And that was like a, a new birthday gift, so she was all the way in Oh, it. Yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, you guys check it out. Uh, make sure, please, that you uh, write reviews for this podcast, that you share it with your friends, spread the word. It just... Helps us out. I mean, we're in season three of this, and we would like more people to hear it. So anyone who's listening to it, please share it. All right, you guys enjoy it. Welcome to How Art is Born, a podcast from the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practices. I'm your host, R. Alvin Brooks, artist, writer, and professor. Today I'm joined by a greater Los Angeles-based professor, author, graphic novelist, curator, and New York Times bestseller, John Jennings. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you being here, man. It's like uh, basically you are reading off what you do is like reading off what I do, except crunk turned up a little <laughs> bit, you know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so uh, how'd you how'd you get into comics to begin with, man? Like, what was the beginning of your you know your love of this medium? It's my mom's fault. Totally my mother's mom. Yeah, so I grew up in Mississippi. I was born in 1970, you know, so basically post-civil rights era Mississippi, you know. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, I grew up, let's just say I had humble beginnings, right? <laughs> let's just say that. <laughs> humble beginnings. Right. And uh, in the middle of, a, like, in the middle of the woods. I mean, I grew up, like, in a very isolated space. And, um, but I had my imagination. So I actually started reading at a very early age. I was always mm. in like mythology and folklore and stuff like that. Just fascinated by like just weird stories and stuff. I don't know. This is weird. Yeah. But my mom was a she was an English major. She was a literature major at Alcorn State University, and so okay. she had a lot of her books around and stuff. So I started I started reading it pretty early, and my mom mm. was trying to cultivate that, you know, like your dad, you know. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, she saw the connection between like oh the mighty Thor and like oh he likes Norse mythology. He might like this kind of thing, right? So yeah, that's kind of like why I started reading comics. Little did there was this uh did she know there was this oh sorry 
<laughs> there's this uh, independent black film in the in the nineties called Chameleon Street. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I own that. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so you remember there was the brother. Uh, there's a scene where uh, the main character's in jail and he's talking to a brother, and the brother's like, "Yeah, you know, I was really into Thor back then." Because mm-hmm. he asked him how he got into jail, and and uh, he, he said, "I came in the room and I said, Mother, what hath become of my comics?'" <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he ended up in jail. What hath become? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's what <laughs> we actually like. You know, everybody has like how how I lost my comic story, right? Right. <laughs> so right. Yep. So sad. All right, so you got into it, Matt. So, like, okay, so, like, for me, uh, as I mentioned earlier, my pops got me into it when I was, like, five. Around 10, my mom was like, I saw this thing in the paper. Uh, it's a comic book convention. Would that be something you're interested in? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, what? why not? <laughs> right. And, of course, I was, uh, this is in Atlanta. I grew up in Atlanta. So, uh, yeah. around, I was, you know, I was around 10. She just dropped this off because it was the 80s. And, uh, you know, comic conventions are maybe, like, 300 people, uh, and I had one homeboy who was in the comics, so it was basically me and him was the only black people and the only kids. Hmm. Uh, did you get into that convention life early, or was it just kind of like you reading, doing your own thing? No, I didn't have as much access, because, you know, like, I am always always lament the day the comics left, you know, because, like I said, uh, I grew up in a small agrarian farming community, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was... Uh, you know, I would get my comics from, say, like spin racks and like newsstands. Right. And, and then, of course, you know, late 70s, when the direct market happens, all that yeah. appears, you know, goes. Right. And um, you can't get comics anymore. <clears throat> not, uh-huh. not, not the way you're used to. So you would have to go to a specialty shop, a direct direct market. And the closest direct market store was called the Star Store. It was in Jackson, Mississippi, which is. You know, it might as, for me, it might as well be on the other side of the moon. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, right. yeah, so I didn't see comics like that for a while. And then um, then here comes Eduardo. It's my Eduardo story. So okay. I had an uncle. He was an artist at the time. He's the one that actually started me drawing comics and stuff. He was in the, he was in the drawing cartoons and stuff. But he mm-hmm. was also, you know, dating a, a woman named Alice. And she was mm-hmm. really nice. And she had a son around my age named Eduardo, you know. Okay. And Eduardo was a massive comic book fanatic. And they lived huh. in Mississippi and they lived around the corner from the star store. So he huh. literally had thousands of comics. Wow. Right? And so what happened was, um, and this had to be like early eighties, because I was thinking about the books that were that he gave me. His mother right. was going to uh Chameleon Street <laughs> was gonna <laughs> get, was gonna get rid of um a bunch of his comics. So she right. said, look, you need to get rid of some of these are everywhere. We don't have space for this. And he had been, you know, they would come out and visit. And so what happened was um, we would play together and he would read comics and stuff. Yeah. And he knew that I'd take care of him. So he gave me at least five or 600 comics, dude. Wow. And I'm talking That's like, cool. I'm talking like stuff I had never seen before. Like, uh, right. like Grimjack, like <laughs> nice. the Strontium Dog. Like, wow. I'm like, I don't know who was buying him these comics. I, maybe he was just picking them up because of the covers or something. But I was like, his yeah. his taste in comics was eclectic. <laughs> it was like huh. phenomenal. And so it just, that actually, that whole collection carried my interest, you know, and, and changed the way I looked at comics, actually. Hmm. That's interesting. There's so many, there were so many independents in there because uh, I missed a lot of those in the 80s because they cost more and yeah. they were black and white. And they were you black and white. Yeah. 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 So like I missed a lot. So I ended up catching a lot of those like on, you know, in, uh, you know, boxes in the 90s, I would pull them out and try. Yeah. And I was like, these are actually pretty good. But I just, you know, 
basically when I was, you know, in the eighties, my mom or my dad would be like, you got $20 or you got $40, whatever it is to spend. And I would, you know, I'd be like, okay, can I get this one? No, I got to get rid of this one. You know, so like the independence, I was not trying to do it because they cost more. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I was thinking like, um, you know, you were, you were in the bud plant, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, you, you would, uh, you would, wait a minute, I just talked about Denver. Isn't that what Mile High Comics is? Are you still on? Yep. Yeah, okay. So for people who are listening who aren't familiar with this, uh, every comic book in the 80s and 90s had a two-page advertising spread of Mile High Comics. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reading that in Atlanta. I knew what Mile High Comics was before I knew what Denver was. Right. <laughs> when I moved here, it didn't occur to me that it was here. And I was just driving and I saw the sign and I was like, My High Comics right. is here. That's right. And I called my homeboy. I was like, Yo, My High Comics is here. He was like, Hilarious. No, it was, yeah. It was so funny. Okay, I got to stick a, a fork in that one because I got I to gotta come back to that. So, um, but I was, I would get the catalogs and stuff from Bud Plant and My High Comics and stuff. Yeah. And that's how I was keeping on top of what was coming. I couldn't afford them, you know. Right. But I was like, What is Love and Rockets? What is Watch? Right. You know, but I didn't get a chance to see those until much later. And to your initial question, which I never asked, I would answer it actually. I didn't get my first comic book convention was way into my. I was like, it was Wizard World. It was I think I was oh. like out of grad school actually. Wow. Yeah, it was okay. way late. You know, so it was like out in the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. Well, Chicago Land actually, was Chicago. Right. Chicago. But my 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 comic story story is this: I was in Denver for a either design conference or America, I mean, it was American studies association conference. And I was mm. in the cab. Right. And I was, and I was talking to the cabbie and I was like, you know what? You guys have a really famous store here. It's called Maha comics. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I, I grew up like reading about this place. It's like, this is where it is. And I was talking right. about teaching him about his own city. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. He didn't know about the comic he didn't know about the world in the city. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, the one homeboy that I had it was in the comics. When he came out to visit me the first time, I was like, yo, so you want to see like Red Rocks, you know, like uh, Garden of the Gods? And he was like, I want to see Mile High Comics. <laughs> that was like the, the first thing he wanted to go to, you know? I, no, it's, I, I still to this day, like if I'm going to a, uh, um, you know, a new a new city, I try to figure out yeah. what the comic shops are. I still do that. Yeah. I was in New Orleans and uh, I went into one uh, that was called More Fun Comics. And I, mm-hmm. I walked in and I was like, yo, did you name this after the old DC series? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody knows that. It's kind of like the, uh, um, the Million Year Picnic in Boston, right? Huh. In Cambridge. We didn't, they named it after the story. I think it's a Ray Bradbury story. That was, uh, oh, that's, that's cool. It's, black-owned. it's a black owned uh, story and it's in Cambridge. It's called, oh, word. and it's downstairs. Yeah, huh. you have to walk down until it's it's barely any room in it. But it's a great story. It's called the million the million year picnic is the name of it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver has a robust schedule of summer programming at our Freeze Building in downtown Denver and the Holiday Theater in the Highlands, from rooftop concerts with local musicians to offbeat interactive lectures with mismatched subjects. B Side Music Fridays runs every Friday, July seventh through August twenty fifth. 2023 at the MCA Denver Freeze Building. Mixed Taste runs every Wednesday, July 12th through August 16th, 2023 at MCA Denver at the Holiday Theater. Okay, so then I want to know, man, for you, uh, what was the point where you decided that you were going to create art? Like, was that at the same time that you got into comics or was there a distinct moment where you were like, this is the thing I'm going to do? You know, that's a good question. Um, I started making art as a, at a very young age, you know, I was really mm-hmm. visual. 
visually oriented. Um, I was always attracted to symbols and colors and shapes from an early age, you know, hmm. and I started making images pretty, pretty, pretty readily. Um, I remember the, my first, like, <laughs> it was like the back of my hand. So I remember I told you, like, uh, my, um, my mom bought me Thor, right? Yeah. So I think about three weeks after that, give or take, uh, she had a re- she, my mom had a pretty dope like LP collection, right? And uh, okay. So I actually remember like looking inside of one of her album covers, like one of her albums, and seeing the clean inside of it. I said, "Wait a minute, there's white stuff in here. This is like it's like it's like clean paper inside of that." Okay, so I remember like tearing open one of the albums, you know, <laughs> drawing inside of the album cover. I drew a, like this yeah. really badly rendered Thor. But it was a, it was like the best oldest red ink. <laughs> yeah. And she like lost it, but she was like, "Oh, you're just trying to draw." So then she started buying me paper to draw on and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, or like finding it at work or whatever. So, um, so around around what age would that have been? Oh man, that had to be like, I don't know, like eight maybe. Okay, seven, eight. I don't know. It's, it's kind of trying to think about where I was living at the time. Right. But um, but I, I took the art pretty pretty easily. You know, I said mm. I, I entered into you know art like kids art competitions. And yeah. I, I remember like drawing stuff for my dentist. You know, I had huh. drawn this incredible Hulk for like his wall, stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it, it was it wasn't that bad actually. Now I think about it, it was actually a pretty good rendering of of, the, of, of a salvage of Hulk. You know, huh? And um, I remember the first types of, I, the, I think the first thing I start, started doing was like storytelling. Like, I I really love stories of all kinds, mm. and I remember the first in first grade, <laughs> I did like bootleg Popeye cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yep, I did like bootleg Popeye stories, right? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I started, like a lot of people, I started doing like knockoff characters, you know, like I had a right. called The Panther. <laughs> it was Tony Smith, The Panther. And he was like, but he's nice. really like, you know, Tony Stark and, and T'Challa, you know? <laughs> right, right. This gold suit, but he had like a headband, like like, like Shang-Chi, you know? <laughs> it was so, <laughs> so ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, so uh, me and my homeboy that I mentioned earlier, like uh, we met in the town to give to class, so we would just see each other once a week. Yeah, and so every week we would come with whatever our new superhero designs were. Oh, there we go. And uh, and you know they were always derivative, like you're talking oh, about. Yeah. But there was a very distinct period when we started reading Fem Force, uh-huh. <laughs> and we're going through puberty. Like uh, I, I still don't think I could show any of those designs that we did to to my mother. Fem Force, <laughs> pretty. Yeah, and that's from, yeah. from what Pacific Comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Well, it's really crazy because you know, of late I've been really interested in like public domain characters, and a lot of those characters are public domain characters. Oh yeah, yeah, because we're both in that uh, group, that Facebook group. That's right. That's public. right. Yeah, yeah, I love that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's- yeah, because you know, I, I wrote a uh, uh, butterfly. butterfly. Yeah, yeah, and, you, and you're working on something with butterfly, right? I'm working on a butterfly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm publishing a butterfly story. I came up with like designs for, um, you know. Uh, like an 80s and 90s version of her, you know? Yeah. And uh, pitched it to my imprint. And um, yeah, so we're, we're working with a, a young lady out of Chicago. Cool. And uh, yeah, but it's an update. It's very different. You know, that's what I like yeah. about the public domain stuff. You can actually take the, the, that one character and just run with it in different directions. Right. And then I just heard my friend Colleen, uh, what's Colleen's last name? I can't think, I can't remember what her last mm. name is right now. She's going to murder me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colleen is going to do a, uh, um, another butterfly stuff for like an Italian. Oh, dope. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love the fact that you can just kind of like remix the characters and run with other things, you know? I think there's something beautiful about that. Uh, and I guess for people listening, butterfly is the first, um, 
black female superhero yep. uh, that saw publication. But they she only lasted for two issues of an anthology book, and then uh, then that company went out of business, so she's public domain now. Funny thing with me with that story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I told you I put out that first graphic novel in 2017. I was invited to do that butterfly story for uh, a publisher that was supposed to be new at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did it. Uh, Frank Fosco drew it. And then nothing. Mm-hmm. Never heard anything. Oh, wow. Um, and I was like, well, and it was one of the first stories I ever wrote. It was a cool Then story. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Then uh, New Year's Eve, right before this year, the artist Frank was like, hey, it's going to be a backup in Savage Dragon. And I was like, for real? <laughs> that, that thing I wrote six, seven years? That's how I get an image comics? All right, cool. Yeah. You know, I, I bought that issue because of your story. Oh, I appreciate I that, man. Follow, I don't follow Savage Dragon like that. I always liked the character. I was like, the, you know, uh, but I mean, I never read it, to be honest with you. Know, like, it, <laughs> he uses a lot of public domain characters, too. Like He's actually used like Daredevil and a few other. Yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, now he and I are Facebook friends, and it's cool to see like his approach to comics. This is Eric Larson, the creator of Savage Dragon. But it's cool to see like uh, what he has to say about comics, his perspective, and stuff like that. That's that's usually pretty interesting to me. Definitely. So okay, uh, I, I'm interested in this journey from being somebody who draws on the inside of uh, the album papers <laughs> <laughs> to becoming the person who you are now. Like, was it that? Uh, you, you, we talked earlier about you going to school. It didn't sound like it was for art specifically. It was. So, oh, okay. So, yeah, can you talk about like what your journey was and how you got yeah, here? Yeah, I actually um, ended up going to went to Jackson State for undergrad. Uh, okay. Class of eighty nine, no ninety three. Yep, eighty nine ninety three, and okay. I studied commercial art, which is the great granddaddy of graphic design, right? Right. And out of out of school, and I and actually while I was there, I did like. Uh, I was at school. I worked for the school newspaper, the Blue and White Flash, oh. and I had my own little like cartoon strip and stuff. It's called Academia, you know. Nice. And uh, you know, it, it was fun, and people seemed to like it. Um, <clears throat> but then we have a local paper called the Clarion Ledger. Hmm. The Clarion Ledger uh, is is a um, is a Gannett paper. So you know, same. Oh. Some people don't own. So my dad was with Gannett. He uh yeah. worked. He was uh deputy managing editor for USA Today. Yeah, sometimes uh, the USA Today and yeah. the Detroit News and uh, other big other big papers. So it's a big paper. It was the biggest paper. Right. It's the biggest paper in Mississippi. Okay. And uh, what's really crazy about it is that at the time, all of the graphic designers and graphic artists were all black men. Huh. For reason, you know. Yeah. It was like three or four black men that worked in the art department, and they huh. did. All the graphics work, they did design work, they did illustration work, and and the art director was a black man. <laughs> you know, it was crazy, and so um, it it blew me away. And so um, they actually came to visit. That's how I knew about. It. They came to visit the Blue and White Flash. It was like a career day kind of thing. Okay. And so I think after I showed them my work, they decided that they they had done like internships before with like news reporters and stuff, right? right. But they had never done um, a, a art internship before. Huh. needed an intern and so internship so they actually hired me as an intern and it was a paid internship it was the most money I'd ever made i think i was making close to 800 dollars a week nice and for me out of college being poe i was right. like oh my goodness i'm, right. I'm rich <laughs> <laughs> right oh it was kind of like you know but then and, and and i got a job with them right after actually and then um okay but i didn't work there that long because i, I was interested in grad school and so I don't know. I, I liked working there. I, I, it was good people. It was good pay for me at the time. 
Um, but I was really interested in education and, uh, and, and just learning more, you know, mm. so I ended up getting into graduate school, um, for art education, actually, okay. in North Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And I did that. Uh, but while I was there, I took graphic design classes and I fell in love with graphic design. So I actually ended up getting into their MFA program after mm. three tries. It was very tough. Wow. Uh, got into the MFA program and, uh, I was only one of, let's see, it was 88 people, uh, um, applied that year. Five of us got in and only <laughs> three of us out of that class stuck in it. So it was, it was wow. stringent. Yeah. And, um, I ended up doing well there and then I ended up, uh, there's a, there was a local like software company that was started by a, um, this genius level, like computer programmer guy, you know, cause mm-hmm. at the time, you know, U of I was like a really big, like hub for computer programming, supercomputing. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, the first internet browser uh, was created there. Mosaic was created there. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, um, and of course, Mosaic later becomes Fire, uh, Firefox. And, wow. No, fi- no, not Firefox. Is it Firefox? I use Firefox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those, those. Yeah. So, and then now he's like multi-billionaire and philanthropist, you know, but he started okay. as a grad student at, um, I forgot his name, at a U of I. Anyway, so uh, I worked at Stephen Wolfram's company, Wolfram Research. Uh, okay. I was doing packaging design. So I was still like full-time grad student, but also I had a wow. full-time job. <laughs> And um, it was good. And I was doing packaging design and stuff like that. And then what happened was I fell in love with teaching, man. I really thought about teaching. And uh, at the time, I had gone through like a really big breakup and, uh, you know, with someone I thought was going to be my wife, but wasn't. Right. And I needed a reset. And what happened? Yeah. Was my old um, my mentor at Jackson State reached out and said, hey, we got an opening for a graphic design professor. And I was like, oh. Hmm. Uh, okay, well, I, I do the designs. <laughs> so, right, right. So, like, I applied for it, got it, and uh, taught there for four years. I built graph, the, their graphic design program pretty much from the bottom up, you know? Huh. Uh, designed the, the Jackson State University logo, stuff like that. I worked there wow. and I helped build. Got got NASA out accreditation. Uh, huh. You know, redesigned their uh, curriculum. <laughs> <which, laughs> he was in there. All right. Yeah, yeah, I was up to their eyeballs. And then but I really don't segue into comics again until like I go back to because I get hired away. Like my other alma mater, University of Illinois, hires me, right? To 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 beef up their image making uh, side of things, right? Because I'm doing like a lot of image making, and that's okay. when I came back to comics. Huh. Right? I had to be like the early 2000s. So what I did is I gave up. Don't give up. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, because what happened was like I was looking. At, I was decent artist, but I wasn't drawing like, you know, I didn't. I I really didn't see myself be doing it. You know, for for a living, and so what is it? Yeah, like that house style. Program. Yeah, the house like style. I wasn't house style. Comics. I'm really, yeah, I'm really influenced by fine art. So my hand looks like you know, uh, Franz Masriel or like Otto Dix. You know, right? You know, Palmer Hayden. You know, what I'm saying I had that kind of feel in my hand. You know, and it's mm-hmm. some comic stuff too. But I really don't come back to comics until the early 2000s, and hmm. uh, I was really interested in like web comics and like different formats of comics. Yeah. And so what happened was, is I'm fiddling around with, uh, you know, web comics and doing like other types of formats and stuff. And I come across Lulu, hmm. the self-publishing, you know, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, on demand company. Right. Right. And I, like, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm trained as a book designer. So let me get this straight. So I can actually make a book and put it out myself. Hmm. Sign me up. So I started doing independent publishing. And that's when I met okay. Ian Duffy. Who's also doing independent publishing? And yeah, we did this book called The Whole, 
consumer culture back in the day. I had to point out that you both have alliterated names like every good comic book hero. Yeah, that's so that really, seems like really a perfect really match. That's right. We're perfect match. We actually call ourselves right. J2D2, actually. <laughs> nice. Yeah, J2D2. And um, so then what happened was uh, we did the whole, we were making this book, <laughs> this crazy cultish, like, you know, voodoo inspired critique of racism in America, you know, huh. off the chain, crazy. And yeah. we actually got a publisher for it. Oh, nice. Yeah, this there are our friend, now friend, Doug Fogelson, he's a photographer. And uh, I met him because of a student of mine did some work for a friend of his or something like that. And he mentioned me and I ended up writing something for another book and we just kept in touch. And I was sharing images of the whole with him. He's like, you know what? Come to Chicago, let's have a meeting. I was like, okay. So me and Damien went up to Chicago and uh, talked to him and his part- partners. And they said, okay, we're going to do it. And we're yeah. like, do what? <laughs> and they were like, oh, we're going to publish your book. And we're like, wow, are you serious? <laughs> this crazy thing. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And that's how I started off in like, that was my first major published work, actually. Right. And uh, after that, of course, we did um, we did some we, we did some curatorial work. We did this show called Out of Sequence, uh, mm-hmm. Underrepresented Voices in American Comics, both of us are comic scholars. And so we were like, well, if we can't work in comics, at least we can have be comics adjacent, you know? Right, right. And uh, so we started studying comics as a medium, and then we put together an art show, two art shows, actually. One was called Other Heroes, which is at Jackson mm. State. And the other one was in, uh, at, at U of I. This is like early 2000s, like 2007, 2008, you know? Okay. <clears throat> and then what happens is, um, you know, we started talking to this company called Mark Batty Publisher. And they're, again, defunct, you know? Um, right. Yeah, they just, you know, like Front 40, they, they really had ambi- like a lot of ambition, but they would do these really beautiful niche books that people weren't buying. They were gorgeous books, but oh. people were like not buying them, you know? Huh. <clears throat> and so, but what, what they published our that's the black comic, the first black comics book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's what really put us on the map. That's actually the book that got us the Kindred deal. Huh. Yep. I got one of the Kickstarter editions of that. Yeah, that's the second. Yeah. That's the follow okay. up. Yeah, the first one's out of print, been out of print for years. You know? Wow. Yeah, because the company went out of business. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of interesting because, um, and I think this happened in when I was still when I was at Buffalo because what happened was. The company went out of business. Um, we had earned royalties, right? But hmm. they pay us royalties because they were not solvent enough. So they paid us in books. Huh. So they, so huh. yeah, so they paid us in books. They gave us like a ton of books. And you know what else they did? Because they said like, they said to us like, if all the books sold as well as your books would, we'd still be a business right now. Huh. So what they did was instead of liquidate the books, they actually sold. Um, the books to all the contributors, which is like 50 people. Wow. At a severe discount. I'm talking like right. $2 a book. Huh. We're talking about a $45 book. Wow. So people were able to actually make a mint off those books. We're talking about, so so people love that. They were like, wait a minute. So you we can buy these books for $2 a piece and sell them for 40 Right. That's like for real publishing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. You know? So yeah, so that's, huh. that was really interesting. And then, you know, after the Kendrick book, though, um, uh, we managed to pull that out. People liked it, you know. Uh, I, did, I think I drew that in about eight months or so. Uh, this okay. we'll get into the, the rigmarole around that, but uh, the book was a hit. The book was a hit, and uh, yeah, still sells well. Um, Good. Debuted at number one on a, on, a, on the New York Times bestseller list for comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, won the uh, Bram Stoker Award. Won the Eisner Award. 
other awards, you know? And nice, we, man. And then we were actually able to do more stuff with the Octavia Butler, um, you know, uh, estate. For those of you who don't know, uh, you know, Octavia Estelle Butler is like one of the the most beloved science fiction writers uh, ever. Right. And she's a black woman and she's from Pasadena, yep. California. And she was the first science fiction writer to win a MacArthur Genius Grant, you know? And, um, you know, she died in 2007, I believe, actually. Mm. You know, so we've been working with her estate and uh, we're working on Parable of Talents now, actually, finally. Okay. But what happened was that actually gave us the leverage to actually start working in comics a lot more uh, huh. as creators. And that's how I ended up getting an imprint at Abrams because the book was so successful that they were like, yo, this is this is a viable space for us. And so, you know, huh. yeah. I love that, man. It's really cool to hear all that. Yeah. I, I want to say there was a period, like, uh, I might have been 12. My dad was like, it's time for you to read Octavia Butler now, mm-hmm. you know? And he hit me with, like, a couple of the paperbacks. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love, you know, I, I'm constantly talking with people about, particularly when it comes to, like, publishing or comics, figuring out, how, like, how to master these fools, right? Cause, and just, like, do my thing right. uh, in such a way that... Because, like, if I were waiting on, you know, if I were waiting on people, I would still be selling insurance. Like, you know, yeah. so figuring out how to make a living, doing the thing you love, yeah. um, which I'm fortunately in that position and just looking to, like, how to expand it. I love that all of this came from you doing something that was something you loved in the way that you loved. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you didn't, like, take this project to Marvel or DC. You know, like, you just created the thing that you love and moved forward with it. Yep. And you've been able to reap some of these cool benefits. That's really cool to hear. No, no, seriously. And like, first of all, Marvel or DC would not have ever published this doll. <laughs> right, right. It's crazy. And uh, it's <laughs> a crazy book. Um, but, you know, people have written about it. People have done dissertations about it and stuff. Because, huh. you know, it's well-researched in it. But it's like, you know, but it's this crazy satire, horror. It's, it's very much for adults. It's not for right. It's very like NC-17. You know, it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> But it also is talking about black bodies and racism and voodoo and de- deposition mm. of African uh, belief structures, stuff like that. Yeah. And um, they wouldn't publish that. <laughs> Not like they take ideas anyway. I mean, they, right. they just publish uh, stuff that they're doing. Yeah. But what's interesting is that after a while, I became known as a, a scholar of race and comics, you know? And, okay. Uh, became a pundit about it. People knew that I was a, cur- a curator and I was knowledgeable to a certain degree right about these subject matters and i actually ended up working um actually uh, marvel reached out to me you know and yeah. said hey you know we want you to write a piece for our site uh for this marvel marvel's voices piece you know huh. it was called lift every voice right a short piece about diversity the importance of diversity in comics and how marvel has always been thinking about diversity you know writ large yeah and uh that segued into like, hey, he did a great job on that. Let's they hired me to write the introduction to the re uh, issue of uh, God Loves Man Kills by uh, okay. Chris Claremont, right? Nice. And that's that's actually I didn't know that. That's, that's really huge, wonderful. It's a huge deal. And like the new book, yes, yeah, you know. So they hired me to do that, and then what happened was um, they were like, hey, you know, we want you to you to write a book about our black superheroes. Huh. What? So a massive, you know, history book about their black characters from 1950 to current day. 
Okay. Yep. It's called My Superheroes yes. Black. Me and my friend Angelique Roche, who helps run the Marvel's Voices. I'm familiar with her work. Yeah. 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 So we were working on a book together. We were working for two years on it. And uh, huh. yeah, we almost done. We were close. You know, uh, she's been insanely. I mean, I can't. I can't think of a better partner. So basically, what happens is I write badly, and then she makes it <laughs> better and more worthy to be published. Because <laughs> what happened over the pandemic is that you know. We had a lot of losses. My sister passed. Sorry, son, thank you. My son was uh, diagnosed with autism at two. Huh. And so that was a huge shift. We moved actually to another place. She okay. moved. There's been a lot of distractions and stuff. And uh, right. also, too, the thing is, is that when you start getting into the nitty gritty of a book like that, yeah. you don't realize like all the trips and, and pitfalls and tributaries that you go down. We're talking about 80 mm. years of continuity. Right. With a company that really, at the, at first, was not even thinking about archiving anything. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah, so if you look at, like, 1950s, people were using different names, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pseudonyms, pseudonyms right. Pseudonyms and stuff. You they were, like, ashamed of writing in comics. Right. Yeah. And then you also had, like, uh, them starting issues, like, later. Like, oh, it's not issue one, it's issue eight. Like, wait, hmm. no, where's the rest of the, you know? It's just kind of, right, right, right. So it was kind of crazy. Huh. So what ends up from that is that I've come across this character called Al B. Harper, who's yeah. a little surfer character. And, um, you know, he sacrifices his life to save the planet. And the Silver Surfer puts a cosmic flame on his grave to mark him as a hero for all eternity. Hmm. And in the middle of, the, you know, George Floyd protests and the loss of my sister, loss of Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. You know, Breonna Taylor's, you know, loss. Right. People in the streets. The world is on fire. I was like, well... I feel like Stan Lee wrote a Black Death Matter story because essentially, you know, it's about a, a character who selflessly sacrifices his life, a black character. This is 1969, right. a year after you know, MLK is assassinated. And uh, I think Stan Lee wanted to have a conversation about race and civil rights, you know, and he uses right. black man as a martyr to a certain degree to, to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when I was looking at the character, I was like moved by it. And I was like, you know what? I don't want him to be dead anymore. Hmm. I, I I want him to be alive. I want him. I want him. To, I think he'll be more helpful to us if he were a superhero. So I pitched uh, it to Marvel because I had their ear because of the other book, and they were like, "Right, tell us more." And I was like, "Well, I would do this. Thing. <laughs> I would do this, 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 and this." And then they were like, "Tell us more." And I was like, "Okay, here's forty page, you know, pitch." <laughs> nice. Way too much, by the way. <laughs> um, they asked for more. Yeah, they did. So I went in, <laughs> and they were like, "All right, five issues." And I was like, "Excuse me." Five, what, what, what? Like, here's five right. issues. Tell us about your new black superhero. Let's do it. And I was like, excuse me? What? So, yeah, so that's... So now I've been writing for Marvel, for, and I created a new black superhero based off of a Stan Lee character. I love that, man. With cosmic powers. No, right. Right? Uh, so people can pick this up, too. I, I yeah. Mean, it's Silver Surfer Ghostlight. That's correct. Or is, yeah. And uh, the, trade, what is, the trade comes out in September. Um, okay. Yeah. There's so, five issues, and uh, the issue four drops end of the month, and then issue five in June, in like late June. So. so, has it been significantly different uh, from the other work you've been doing to to do like a like a monthly Marvel comic? Like, yes. All right. Yeah. How so? <laughs> well, I mean, of course, the deadlines are very right. right, and the process that they have is very, very. I mean, it's 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 um they have it down to a science. Uh-huh. It's it's um. It's immediate. Like so for instance, like, you know, you have 
you know, it depends on the team, the teams that they pick, they, they move differently. Uh, our artist is Valentin Delandro, uh, mm-hmm. who's a, you know, Trinidadian, uh, artist out of, uh, oh, okay. out of, uh, Toronto. And, hmm. you know, our, our cover artist is a black man as well, Taryn Clark. And, uh, yeah, it's been really an interesting conversation between the three of us working on his character. So, um, you know, first you get the first draft in, right? Right. Then they get notes on that, and then you do a dialogue pass, which means like you go back and you double check to make sure that you know they're saying what they need to be saying. Hmm. Uh, they get that on top of the inks, the letters, you know. So you so you see the lettered proof, yeah, right. And then you get the colors in, right? And you have to give notes on the colors, and then you right. final pass on the dialogue with everything, and then it goes to press. And that happens huh. every month. <laughs> so and it's very wow. fast. It happens very fast. Yeah. NCA Denver at the Holiday Theater is a year-round performance and event space that is an extension of the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver. The Holiday is home to a spectrum of creative expression, including original productions, live music, film screenings, artist talks, and serial programming like Mixed Taste and Cinema Azteca, as well as performances and events presented by other cultural organizations. The theater is also available for private rentals. Visit mcadenver.org forward slash holiday dash theater to learn more. Now I, I want to ask, like, so uh, I hosted a previous comic podcast where I talked to just different people who are in the geek world, and I, I talked to like um, Alan Davis, and I talked to um, Azarello, Brian Azarello, mm-hmm. and I was talking with each of them about this idea about um, whether art is for sort of making people think differently about their lives or whether it's for escapism. Mm. And I, I think both are equally valid. Alan Davis was more on the, like, it lets me escape the world. Azarello was more on the, like, I can change people's lives if I can make them think differently, you know? Yeah. And I, I wonder where you are. Like, when you're creating, um, what do you have in mind? What effect do you want it to have on people, the world, et cetera? I am. Uh, I'm very much in Azarello's camp, you know? Yeah. And I think it's because I'm really influenced by, like, <clears throat> not pop culture, you know, but but it's influenced by black arts movements, you know? Yeah. So I'm talking about, like, you know, the Harlem Renaissance and, and the right. black arts movement, Afro-Cobra, what you want to call the black speculative arts movement, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, black people in our country have always uh, used art to fight against oppression, you know? Right. Whether it's dance, poetry, what have you, you know, uh, it seems ingrained in us. And also, to work like, you know, Emory Douglas, you know? And yeah. if you look at like uh, the different theoretical framings from from black scholars around black art, a lot of it is about like use art to fight, right? So mm-hmm. if you look at like the criteria of Negro art by Du Bois. He's like he doesn't even care about work that isn't propaganda. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> right. As long as we're not free, we don't have to use art to tell you, to tell you what we need, right? Um, but then another one is uh, Bell Hooks' uh, Black Aesthetic, Strange and Oppositional. You know, mm-hmm. make the artwork strange and opposition, push back mm-hmm. against the norm, right? Fight from the margins. That's her. That's Ben right. Hooks. Um, then you also have like you know, what was it? The, the crisis of Negro artists on the, in the no in the racial mountain. You know that piece by um, no Langston Hughes. Okay. Yeah. So 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 I'm looking at these forefathers. Oh, and uh, right. you know Emory Douglas also and foremothers. Emory Douglas has a has a ten point you know manifesto about art. You know, make it clear, make it, you know, 
make it provocative, make it easy to understand. So when I look at comics, I love them, but they also speak very symbolically. You can actually talk about a lot of different you know, types of political issues and issues that are affecting our people right. readily. So even with something like Ghostlight, one of the most radical things I could have done is I gave that brother a family. Right. You know, because in the first, the first, when you see Ghost like when you see or Al Harper, um, he's just in the woods. He's created to, as a plot point for a civil society. Right. But I give him a backstory. I give him emotions. I give him affect. I give him, like, complexity, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that was a blessing. I'll, I'll, I'll always be grateful to Marvel for letting me do that because that is such a radical thing to see, you know. Even, yeah. even in this day and age where you get, like, complexity you know we are not a monolith you know these types of right things. that's something i think is really important so yes i'm very much in the camp like art can change people's minds you know mm. and they do it every day you know we just call it commercial art like you look at like advertisers and stuff they're using art to sell us things all the time right so how why can't we sell like hey let's talk about climate change or hey why don't we why don't we end abuse uh, abuse against like el- the elderly and women and children right Right. Why don't we think more equitably about, like, you know, the bottom line about prison industrial complex? Why can't we talk about these things with our art? Mm. You know? I love that, man. You know, so for me, uh, as a child of the Twilight Zone and civil rights, you know, (laughs) uh, like those things coming together, it's always it's always on my mind. You know, uh, sort of Rod Serling and Melvin Van Peebles, you know, like (laughs) kind of had top influences for me and that. It it does come out, you know, and it's interesting how um, when you have those people who who something that you create resonates in a powerful way, mm-hmm. like you can you can see the way that it's changed their lives. You can feel yes, like and and they're like happy. Like it's just a really interesting experience to have somebody who is significantly impacted by characters I made up on my couch. You <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? No, right? It's like yeah, you just kind of doodling and yeah, connect with it. You know, that's that is a I'll never get over that. You're absolutely right. Like, hey, I'm just, I wrote this story about this character. This, like, like even with your butterfly story, right? So taking that character from, you know, the public domain became yeah. a mishap. Because really what it was, they, they didn't put the copyright symbol on it properly. Yep. A mishap, right? Right. Where you can actually now empower others and yourself with this character, right? So yeah. it's so amazing to me. Um the other thing too is like you know I do a lot of work with um, community centers to create black comic book festivals, right? Hmm. So like I co-founded the, um, the Black Comic Book Festival in Harlem. I want to co-found mm-hmm. that, and it's the largest black comic book festival in the country, probably in the world, even maybe as far as I can tell. Okay. Um, Pre-COVID, we're talking twelve, fifteen thousand people huh. to a free two-day event at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. Yeah. On Lenox Avenue, also known as Malcolm X Boulevard, right? Right. Uh, across from the Harlem Hospital, down the street, around the corner from Apollo, right? Red roof uh-huh. across the street. The Har- you know, it's just black, blickety black, right? Yeah, this right. This is the repository of the Harlem Renaissance, man. Like, it's hmm. in Hughes's ashes are buried in the foundation, like, literally. In wow. Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So this is this is where like Harry Belafonte and like Ozzy Davis and Ruby D perform in the basement, man. Huh. Yeah, this so this is like a piece of history. And they said, Hey, let's do a black comic book festival. Whew. Man. That's so cool. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like kids 
walking into that space and seeing themselves reflected back at, them, at themselves and then like everybody there is making something that's for them right you know and, and for that mm. for two days we are the default huh. you know it's nothing like it <laughs> so i love that man you know i gotta say listen brother it's it's easy to talk to you and uh, and i'm enjoying it but i guess we're gonna head towards wrapping up there's three things one i want to ask uh in your process yeah uh, when you feel fear first of all what what how does it manifest and then secondly how do you get through it okay um so it's, it's interesting because i'm a horror creator too so i i, I yeah well, fear is my medium to a certain degree huh um you know I'm I'm, the, I'm actually the first African American man to win the Bram Stoker Award. Huh. People don't realize that. Uh, but yeah, I was the first. Uh, Linda Addison, you know, who's a horror poet, she's written one yeah. a bunch. She's a black woman. She's the first black person. Okay. First black man to win one. And uh, wow. it's for Kindred. And so I've always been a big horror fan. So this notion of fear uh, is something that I really, really think about a lot because a lot of times mm-hmm. I'm trying to scare you with my stories <laughs> right but for a good reason i'm actually trying to use them to use the fear or the anxiety that i have it's it's fuel for the work you know mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of times i'm making like octavia butler like i'm really influenced by what she wanted to do like with, with parable of sword like she wanted to create warnings about the future mm-hmm. and i want to say like that fear has become more intense after becoming a father you know uh, um the afro future has shifted greatly you know when i look at like the world that Jackson, by the way, my son's name is Jackson Kirby, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you, you're on that, uh, that Nick Cage level. Yes. You know, he named his son Kal-El. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. 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 Well, that, yep. That's the, my mom. I mean, my mom, that's four years old. My wife, <laughs> my wife, uh, uh, named him that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of, oh, that's... because, um, we spell it J-A-X-O-N. And so my okay. my grandfather uh, couldn't read or write, and he signed his name hmm. X. So we kind of okay. looked after my grandfather on the slide too. So that's dope. Thanks. Uh, okay, okay. It reminds me of a joke from Cheers that I just got to throw out because I just okay. listened to a podcast from Cheers. Okay. Somebody asked uh, Cliff Clavin, the mailman character, they were like, uh, "What is a Freudian slip?" And he says, "It's when you say when you mean to say one thing and you accidentally say a mother." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> anyway, right, right. Yeah, that's that's really, so beautifully nerdy. So anyway, so so fear is part of my process because yeah, and I don't shy away from it. I'm used to dealing with my my anxieties, and I use art to deal with them. Um, hmm. So climate change has become something I'm very very conscious about. So I created an entire storytelling space when I, I was a Harvard fellow, and I did a I was work with Skip Gates in there, and I did like a okay. It's called the cyber trap. It's like a storytelling space. It's set in huh. the future where like climate change devastates like the southeast, you know, hmm. and uh, Florida is totally submerged underwater. Everybody moves into the inland, you know, and they have these big mega cities, stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I was kind of using uh, climate data and the fear of like what can happen if we don't pay attention to it to actually tell stories and actually, but as warnings, you know. Okay. So yeah, so I'm I'm I like. The fears that I have go into the work because I want to deal with the issues, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's dope. You do a lot of interesting stuff. I feel I, obviously we just only scratched the surface, but it's really cool. I, I encourage anyone who's listening or watching to 
to look more into the work you've done. Thank you. All right, my two final questions are, uh, first, do you have any, like, what do you have going on next? Uh, where can people find your stuff? How can they engage with it? That kind of thing. Okay. Um, so a good place to start is my website, which is uh, John Jennings Studio, all one word, dot com. John Jennings Studio, dot com. All right. So currently, uh, I'm finishing up <clears throat> the five issue miniseries, Serial Surfer Ghostlight, which I said introduces a brand new black superhero to the Marvel Universe and his family. Exciting. That will be collected September 26th, I think is when it comes together. Um, I just I just uh, signed a contract with Vault Comics to do a new creator-owned piece. Congrats. Uh, thanks. Um, let's see. Uh, are you going to uh, write and draw? Are you going to have somebody I'm just else? Writing. Yeah, I'm just going to okay. write. I found like when I have a kid, like drawing with the kid has been difficult. Like for instance, uh, another project I'm working on is Parable of the Talents, which is a 280-page uh, book. Right. Which is way overdue. And uh, <laughs> way, way overdue. Um, me and my friend David Bram are going to tackle the art. I'm going to do finishes. He's going to do breakdowns. So okay. just give me a hand to catch up with that. So, yeah, I pretty much only uh, draw when it's an opportunity that I can't afford to have an artist mess up my deadline. Yeah, <laughs> So like the couple museum pieces I've done, it's only because, yeah, because it's a lot of work. I respect com people who consistently draw good comics and and hit their deadlines. Exactly. I don't know how they do it. It's a brilliant thing. People like Rob Guillory, you know, like right. give it. Um, I got mistaken for him at a convention once. You know what? People, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, That's so funny. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, Rob is cool people. Let's see. So um, the other thing, too, is the, the I'm, uh, my superhero's black book, which if we, it looks like we're on track to get it done by the end of August. Uh, okay. That means it will be in stores next year uh, around, okay. around Juneteenth. It's Simon & Schuster and Marvel. Right, nice. It's a compendium of characters from Marvel, you know, black characters from 1950 current day, and uh, so those are some of the bigger things. And uh, I'm in a collection of horror stories with some other brothers. We got a big Kickstarter. We got like a you know 52k for a Kickstarter. Okay. Those of y'all who are watching who, who contributed, thank you. Um, but it's like a, a black horror anthology. Dark Horse is going to put it out for us. And so, nice. And the last thing is a second volume of box of bones there's other stuff but i just want to you know those are some of the bigger things that are immediate right now so yeah oh oh that sounds cool oh no one more okay. i don't okay. know thought about this i i, I co-edited a collection of marvel comics for kids called marvel super stories ah that nice. was fun 15 artists one of huh. them with me i did a daredevil story for kids and then the, ah and daredevil was your favorite hero we established yeah, exactly. that at the beginning I chance to do a daredevil story but for kids it was so awesome so yeah congrats man congrats on all the stuff you're doing man uh, all right. Well, then uh, the last thing I want to ask is, uh, what's inspiring you these days? Like, what are you into? Like, you know, is it music? Is it comics? Like, is there a specific thing that's yeah. inspiring you creatively? So, um, I'm always listening to music. I love music. Um, so, yeah, music is always on. Oh, I don't think about it. Uh, I'm really inspired by uh, alternative histories right now, like speculative histories. Huh. Like thinking about like what could have happened and you know right. fiction stories like how did we actually deal with things that could have happened and, and spaces that might have been you know hmm. um, I was part of a, 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 co of a, a committee for Hannah Beekler's uh, 
uh, Afrofuturist period role. I mean, she has at the Met right now. Hannah Beekler, um, for those of y'all don't know, she was she's the Oscar winning uh, set designer for Black Panther, World of Wakanda. Um, oh. I mean, Wakanda Forever, and um, it's an alternative history role. So I became like really fascinated by the notion huh. of well, what types of things, well researched alternative histories has been really my thing. And like yourself, I'm really I'm really like public domain characters too. Yeah, because it's sort of a reclamation to me of a, of mm-hmm. a bygone her- uh, history. And it's also a critique. Like I, I make a lot of my characters of color, like, well, I change gender or, you know, stuff like that. Because traditionally, as you know, like the superhero genre has been really, really about straight men, straight men and power fantasies, right? Yeah. You were not ever meant to be. Straight white men specifically. Exactly, yep. Yeah. So um, I like the idea of twisting those because that actually critiques the work, you know? And uh, I'm really into that. And um, I don't know. So those, those are some of my little quirky things. But uh, I'm really inspired by, you know, meta narratives and, and looking at like, you know, other histories and things, you know. Hmm. Brother John Jennings, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, especially given all the things that you got going on. You know what I'm saying? So busy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate you making it happen. No, no, it's my pleasure. Special thank you to today's guest, John Jennings. Thank you to the listeners. If you're not already, please be sure to subscribe to How Art Is Born wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes. And if you can, leave a review. It really helps us out. Check out MCA Denver on YouTube and subscribe to the channel to watch the video version of this podcast and get behind-the-scenes clips from today's episode. Visit MCA Denver's upcoming exhibitions, Tomashi Jackson, Across the Universe, Anna Sularkis, Indigenous Absurdities, opening Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. How Art is Born is produced and edited by Dele Johnson and executive produced by Courtney Law. Additional thanks to Rachel Grammers for their work on marketing support for this episode. 